Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for the week of November 22nd, 2017, Thanksgiving week. My name is Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I'll be your host today. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-podcaster in studio, 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Neil. And also on the line from Chicago, we got fellow 538 sports writer Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. What's good, man? How are you? Uh, Doing well. How are you guys doing? Ready to eat some food. Yeah, yeah, big Thanksgiving plans. Yeah, going to spend a lot of time on Interstate 80 and uh, <laughs> yeah, get home for a couple hours and come right back. Yeah, who doesn't enjoy that? Uh, yeah, sadly, no uh, NBA games on Thanksgiving. I, uh, I know we've, we've ceded that to football for now. You know, that's football's thing for, for a long time. Uh, but I can't help but wonder, maybe someday we'll get some, uh, in addition to the Christmas games, we'll get some Thanksgiving games, maybe some other holidays. I don't know. Holidays underserved by the NBA. NBA needs to step up and, and take over. No, no. I, I, I highly, <laughs> highly disagree. As someone who's covered Nick games in years where they only went 25, 30 games on Christmas and other holidays where I would have loved to have been with family. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's easy for me. I, I would just be sitting at home watching instead of talking to family. It's a little different when you're covering it as a beat writer. Yeah, man, like the list of holidays that haven't been ruined by the NBA for me is like short. I mean, like, NBA is like... Yeah, Thanksgiving's the only one on it, I think. Okay, all right. Well, uh, uh, on today's show, we're going to check in with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're up and down early stretch of the season uh, and what it might tell us about what they could turn into eventually if they hit their full potential. We'll also bring you a small sample on Lonzo Ball's shooting percentages and whether those will improve, or even does it even matter? Does he do enough else on the court to offset it either way? But first, let's hit the headlines and... We know the Boston Celtics keep streaking. They're going to go for win number 17 in a row on Wednesday night. But we've talked a lot about the Celtics so far this season. Maybe maybe we put the Celtics on the shelf just for one week. Uh, and, and when they go for their 24th win in a row next week, maybe we'll talk about them again. But uh, I wanted to talk about a different team, uh, a little bit also related to the news. Uh, it was reported on Tuesday that uh, the Denver Nuggets all-star forward Paul Millsap is going to undergo surgery on his left wrist and is expected to miss two to three months. Uh, so Denver was one of those kind of hip, up-and-coming teams that we talked about going into the season, and they've played reasonably well so far 10 and 7 right now fourth in the west they're in the top 10 in a bunch of different power ratings but how much of a part did Millsap play in that start and also are they kind of meeting the expectations that we as basketball nerds set for them maybe undeservedly going into the season yeah he he played a, a big role in what they were doing I think he actually struggled quite a bit at the beginning of the season offensively wasn't playing that well but the thing is, that's that's why he's so valuable, is that he doesn't have to be scoring to impact what you're doing. He rebounds. He defends. He talks defensively. He's a great passer. He's just kind of a jack-of-all-trades, and he's able to impact different parts of the game, even if he's not scoring or scoring that efficiently. So that was the thing. He's also the kind of guy that can help change your culture. And with a young team like that, you like having around. And so I think it's a big blow for them. I think it's a team that's already, you know, at times not playing enough defense. And so I worry about what this means for two to three months. I really liked them and like the trajectory they're on 
but this changes a lot, I think, for them. Yeah, uh, our colleague at ESPN, Zach Lowe, wrote about the Nuggets just last week and kind of t- took this big-picture view of how they were adjusting to Nikola Jokic's progression as a star while also trying to fit in Millsap and make the next step. And the big step for them that he wrote about was that defense was was really what the emphasis was, uh, and, and Millsap was a huge part of that. And they were a great offensive team, really bad defensive team last year. And so now I'm wondering... Even with Jokic taking steps forward, and maybe you could talk about this, Kyle, is he actually taking steps forward that people are expecting, uh, and and are they going to be any different than the 40-win team that they were last year, even with that? So with Jokic, as always, it is two different answers. So on offense, yeah, he's taking steps, and he might have to take some steps back because he's actually become a big catch-and-shoot guy this year. Um, last season, he took about counting clean looks, so where he gets the ball, puts it right up, or he has to relocate and catch, move, shoot. About the same thing, but those are you know uh, parsed a little differently. Last season, he took about 20% of his shots like that. This season, it's up to 40, so it's double. And so as guys are moving into like a star role, that's strange. Like That doesn't usually happen uh, that guys are just you know doing less of it on their own, that they're working more through the offense. That's an effective Millsap. But on defense, oh, good God, no. He is still <laughs> one of the most catastrophic, catastrophic defenders in the league. And it's that was true last year. It's been true like uh, the entire time he's been around, and it's still true this year. Um, so if you go by, you know, you don't even have to compare him to Porzingis and Bead. Everyone, he's at the bottom of the league as far as the quality of shots he gives up, as far as a, his effect on those shots. Opponents shoot better when he's defending them than they do against like an average defender, far far better, and they take a lot of shots against him. So. They're just seeking him out on the court, finding him, and that's just been true the entire time he's been in the league. And that's kind of interesting, though, because he has one of the best on-court defensive ratings of any player on the Nuggets, and the Nuggets have improved a little bit defensively this year compared to last year. Uh, also, maybe this is good for a laugh uh, if, if you guys want to dissect the early season fancy metrics, but he's ranks number one in defensive RPM, uh, real plus minus, that's ESPN's metric for uh, judging a player's on-court impact uh, among centers right now. Now, what what is going on with this disconnect between what the eye test says uh, and, and what some of the shooting uh, numbers say, and then also the the performance of the team's defense while he's on the court? Is it they're just managing to uh, to shield him and kind of you know hide him from from bad matchups, or, or what is it? It could be that the team defense is not as hurt by it if teams are only seeking out and finding him. Like a quarter of the shots are while he's on the court are just going directly at him and if the opposing defense is only focusing on that they might get out of their rhythm out of their offense but on those shots the the opposing team is shooting about 60 effective field goal percent which is really really high that's really interesting so the idea of having one defender who's so bad that uh, it almost hurts the other team's offense because they want to take advantage of that one defender so much that that absolutely happens i remember the years that i covered the knicks watching people constantly try to take advantage of Ray Felton in the post and other guys like that. Um, the, the example that I remember very clearly is during a playoff series, Paul Pierce being guarded by Ray Felton. And, you know, Pierce is not someone that can just blaze past someone. He plays with a more methodical style or played with a methodical style. And Doc Rivers was just blown away by how great a defender Raymond Felton was, even to the point where he wanted Raymond Felton on his team, although Doc wants every buddy that's ever had a good game against him on his team. That's why he lost his GM title. But that sort of thing happens. And, it, you know, the mouse in the house thinking is that you can always take somebody that is perceived to be a bad defender and you almost 
work too hard on that element of it instead of using your normal offense and running your normal offense. And so that absolutely happens, and that's an interesting concept there with, with Jokic and why he might not be hurt uh, statistically the way you would think. Okay, so I guess we'll just keep an eye on Denver uh, like any good NBA nerds do. Uh, for what it's worth, they are up to uh, 18th in defensive rating this season from 29th last year. Uh, and so, and also their pace factor is way down, uh, playing a little bit slower. But we'll see how much of that can persist with Millsap on the shelf. So we'll leave it there with Denver and move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. If you need a ride these holidays, say you're going to your company's holiday party or just a night out with friends and family, Uber is a safe and comfortable way to get to where you need to be. You can request an Uber ride anytime with the Uber app. You can even book your Uber in advance for a truly stress-free experience. Uber is the better way to get anywhere you have to be. You'll even know the price before you book a trip and pay directly in the app. Install the Uber app today from the App Store or Google Play. And new riders who use the code THELAB, that's T-H-E-L-A-B, one word, will get $5 off their first three rides. That's the code THELAB to get $5 off your first three Uber rides. Uber is the better way to get anywhere you have to be. Offer applies to new users only and expires February 18th, 2018. After trading for Paul George and Carmelo Anthony over the offseason, expectations were high in Oklahoma City. But we're only a month into the season, and the Thunder are just 7-9, and nine, good for ninth place in the West and far below what a team with their star power seems capable of. They can't really get it on a roll. They appear to find a groove when they responded to a recent four-game losing streak with three straight wins, but then they promptly lost back-to-back games again. And they need to figure out things soon because on Wednesday night, they're going to play host to the defending champion Golden State Warriors. So, Chris, you've actually written a piece about Oklahoma City that should drop on the site uh, on Wednesday. Is this just growing pains for a team trying to adjust to these new stars like we talked about going into the season? I think it's a little bit of a mix. I think, honestly, what we're finding is that for how much the stat heads like us and everybody else would like to see Carmelo develop into this guy, this Olympic mellow on an NBA team. I'm not totally sure he's willing to do that yet, or if he's totally capable of doing it with this team, but also that I do think it's also growing pains too. I I don't think these numbers are going to hold up for the full season. So far you look at it and basically everybody on the team is shooting more poorly it's almost like the Brady Bunch where you you look at the intro that they've got and everybody's looking up at the different people and the Hollywood Square sort of thing everybody when they're playing next to another star plays poorly they play more poorly with Westbrook Mello shoots way worse with Westbrook Westbrook shoots worse with Mello Paul George shoots better with those two but basically everybody else and every other combination shoots more poorly and I don't think that sort of thing will hold up I think it's very much a your turn my turn sort of arrangement that they have right now and they're good enough to win that way but I don't think they're good enough to win 55 games that way and so I think we're going to have to recalibrate our expectations but their defense has been a lot better than I think people expected it to be and that's going to hold them up long enough to figure out the offense I think. I mean yeah the defense has been really really good except for the last part of the defensive possession I mean I've been harping on this all season but they're still bottom four bottom five in the league in defensive rebounding rate and it's something where we can actually track this now, where we can look at, um, thanks to Second Spectrum, which is the, the NBA's player tracking stuff, 
Um, they call it Hustle Above Expectation or Attack Plus. They have like five different names for this stuff. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> but basically, it's the likelihood that you get into position, position to be closest to the ball, adjusting for where you started. And basically, it's like how much are you hustling to, to go get the board? And last season, the Thunder were obviously first. They were just crashing all the boards. Uh, this season, they've dropped to like 16th. And that is that's the big deal like they have guys who just aren't you know crashing the boards like they used to and so last season the thunder had to you know really squeeze everything they could out of every possession get as many possessions as they could this season uh like while they're figuring out the offense uh they're they just need to be crashing the boards the same way they're just not yet at the same time they rank third in the league in defensive efficiency so even with the the decline in rebounding they're doing something right it seems like and and who do we give credit to for that seeing as how this is a team that has Russell Westbrook and especially Carmelo Anthony, two players that haven't really had the best defensive reputations over the years, still logging huge minutes for them. Is it just that Paul George and Andre Robertson and Steven Adams are so good defensively that they can kind of mesh together and, and build a good defense out of that? Or have Westbrook and Anthony actually gotten better too? Yes. I will say yes to all of that. <laughs> all of the above. I, I think that I mean I think that you just kind of have to live with, with certain elements of what Westbrook does. I, I was actually hunting for another statistic about somebody else the other day and said, does this player that I'm interested in, does he have the most backcourt steals in the league? And they said, no, it's Westbrook, actually. And that just tells you how much he gambles. And so um, statistically, you'd find that there's a lot of things that he doesn't do well. He's not in position. Sometimes he really hurts them. And there were clips I was looking through last night where Westbrook really hurts them defensively with all the gambles, but he, it also pays off a lot of the time as well. And so he's always going to have some positive contribution because of that. Carmelo's going to add some positive contributions just by playing the four. But really, I think Paul George playing with Robertson and Robertson playing with Paul George, they both are free to do a little bit more and to kind of play off their man just a little bit to try to sneak around and do different things. Paul George leads the league in deflections, I think, and the – Thunder lead the league in deflections by a mile so far. And so they're just really aggressive, and they've got enough athleticism to do it with those two guys and with Adams on the back line. Yeah, uh, what's what's the recipe for uh, these point guard types or just guards in general that are kind of more of the cherry-picking brand of defense? Uh, do you want to surround them with basically a rim protector to sort of backstop it in the cases where they do get beat and maybe just live with it sometimes that, that the gambles don't pay off, but also you get the steals out of it and the fast break? points is that kind of the way that they uh they might approach defense uh with a player like Westbrook kind of gambling so much it, it seems that way I mean if you're not going to get contributions out of his on-ball defense you might as well have him act superhuman the way he normally does and try to get something out of that if he's going to be bad defensively anyway you might as well have him get some benefit out of that it's a weird way to think about it but at the same time they can often cover for him, and this stems back to last year as well. They covered for him pretty well. They were a top-10 defense last year as well. And so if you've got the, the wherewithal to be able to cover for someone when they make a mistake or when they over-pursue, then, yeah, you might as well get some positive benefit out of the fact that they're not a good defender on the ball. I mean, and the other thing is that Westbrook's just huge. So he's not like a lot of these other dudes who are – like bad defenders at the point guard position, like Isaiah or like I mean Kyrie's got decent size, but he's a little more slight. Uh, he's built like he's built like a tank. Like so, if he does squeeze up on you a little bit, so like his numbers. This is probably just early season stuff, but his numbers have taken a big turn. On he doesn't challenge any shots. Uh, he still doesn't. But when he does, 
um, he's having like a much better effect on them uh, than he had in the past. Again, going by the the player tracking stuff, where we can you know judge on like how much is the defender affecting the shot. Like this season, like Westbrook is actually like you know depressing the value of shots that he actually you know bothers to challenge. And that's different than in the past. That is much different than like <laughs> every year that we have data for this. Like he was not really doing that. And so like no, he's still not a good positional defender. He still like you know takes himself out of plays, whatever. But he is squeezing up a little bit more. He is you know taking away that space and like you know the old Baron Davis stuff. Like no one likes to play against the huge point guard. Uh, yeah, like even even a not too good defender like Westbrook uh, benefits from being massive. And how much do you think that's also the fact that he just doesn't have to work as hard on offense because he has these other guys to kind of shoulder some of the load? I mean, last year he took on forty four percent of Thunder possessions. This year only thirty four. I say only thirty four percent. It's still one of the highest in the league. But I mean, this was a guy that shattered the usage rate record last season, and now he is. Seems like he's able to devote more energy to the defensive end, which is to say any energy to the defensive end. Uh, and also, you know, uh, not have to pour so much of himself into some of the some of the other stat stuffing things that he was doing last year. Some out of necessity and some just out of that's the way the team was last year. Yeah, I the th- crazy thing now that I look at with Westbrook, I guess I don't necessarily need him to channel his energy, but I just want the guy to take the lead a little bit more. You You look at their clutch numbers where the game is within five points in the final five minutes of the game. And Westbrook is taking about twice as many shots as anybody else in that span of time. And he's kind of saving that it's his time to take over. I kind of feel as if he's sitting in the car and has his foot over the pedal but won't actually hit the pedal because he's trying to be polite. He's trying to let everybody find their way. It's an important year for them because these guys could technically become free agents. And so you you want to play nice with everybody. But Westbrook his impact has just been a lot different this year. He's having a career worst season in terms of the way he's shooting the ball. He's not even shooting his free throws very well this year. And a lot of stuff just seems off. He doesn't seem comfortable yet. And so I'd kind of like to see him get there. And I think it's going to require him to have more games like what he had last year, not necessarily just triple doubles, but the massive 40, 45 point triple doubles, which you could make the argument you don't need them, but I kind of feel like just to put him in the right headspace and not have him wondering about where he fits in this offense just to take over the way that we've seen him do in the past. How long does it typically take with these super teams to mesh? It feels like it usually takes more than half a season, right, for, for these teams to kind of find their legs. I think about the the Heat when LeBron and Chris Bosh and D. Wade finally joined forces. They were really, really struggling early in that season and didn't really get it together until maybe the stretch run the second half of the season. I mean, so to me, like, that is the comp for this team. Uh, It's a bunch of high-usage players coming together, figuring out how they're going to, you know, put all that together. I still think that that Melo kind of fits in, like, the Bosch role, even though he's nowhere near the defender that Bosch was. Uh, But that team did it with defense and, uh, like, rebounding and just, like, hustle, getting out on the fast break. This team isn't really doing that. They are defending, but, like, they're not rebounding yet. They're not, uh, you know, just going out and maximizing, like, who their best players are, just like, okay— LeBron went out and just did LeBron like Wade would go out just do Wade Uh, so like they were just less hesitant so like Chris was saying when Westbrook is actually taking the shot he doesn't look sure of himself so this is still a big pick and roll team right and but pick the pick and roll numbers for Russ and Adams who's like you know his number one partner and whomever are down so if you look at like just the Russ and Adams pick and roll last season chances created off that 
uh, were about 93 percent, uh, 93 points per hundred possessions. This three, that's down 10 points to 83 points per hundred. Not good. Yeah. When Russ is in pick and roll on his own, doesn't matter who he's with. Last season, he was getting about 90 points per hundred possession. This season, when when he takes the shot himself, uh, which is not great, but like it was just grinding out. You know, this is our baseline. Like no matter what, we have this shot. This year, that's down under 80 points per hundred possessions. Uh, and that's just because it seems like he's just trying to force the ball to these dudes while on the floor while they're on the floor with him. So when Adams takes a shot off of the pick and roll with uh, Russ, he's still doing well. He's actually doing better than he did last year. When Paul George takes a shot off that same pick and roll, he's doing really well. Melo less so, even though his catch and shoot numbers are still good. But like it seems like Russ is trying to force the ball into these dudes while they're on the court together. And then if not, he's just taking an even worse shot than he would last year. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's a matter of finding a way to uh, you watch enough of their film and you see Billy Donovan after, even they start some games with a set where they basically it almost looks like a three man weave at the top of the key that they run just to try to get everybody to touch the ball and so Russ will walk the ball up the court and he'll hand it to Mello then Mello will basically walk it over to Paul George and they all end up at the middle of the court and screen for each other and it it doesn't even seem like it does all that much other than to just have them with a sense of I got to touch the ball and they're going to have to move a little bit beyond that. But Russ is the one I'm concerned about. I, I never thought that would be the case because he's so aggressive. We've seen him kind of take a devil may care sort of attitude toward the idea of whether it's his shot or KD's shot or anybody like that. But in this situation, it does feel different. I don't know if maybe he's more cognizant of it because KD did leave because these guys came in and didn't have to, uh, in terms of where they were being sent or, you know, how much they want to stay there. But it, it's it's strange not seeing Russ just play with this killer mentality that he's always had, and I, I hope he gets back to that pretty soon. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of it is that point that you made earlier, Chris, about the fact that Westbrook is there pretty much long-term. He's locked down. He signed a five-year, $205 million contract extension in September. But both George and Anthony can opt out of their contracts after this season. Uh, we don't know whether they will or not, uh, but it does seem like there's that sense of urgency and maybe the, the pressure falls more on Westbrook to try to accommodate these guys because of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Paul George will, will want to be a free agent this year. Maybe something happens and he doesn't want to be. I, I think it would take something really drastic happening with Carmelo. I, I think he'd be leaving something like $28 million on the table to do that. And, I mean, he's not leaving it on the table. He'd get money somewhere else. But I don't know who in their right mind is going to pay more than $28 million or anywhere near $28 million a year or next year or anything for a guy that is in the midst of a career-worst shooting percentage who doesn't really look like he's changed his game a whole lot to play with these guys and let's face it, you know, is not much of a defender, looks a little bit better in this system because of the guys around him. So I, I, I can't imagine him opting out. I, I know that he has that there. He's also said that he didn't want to go through the free agency process again, which obviously he'd have that problem next year anyway. So he's going to have to at some point, assuming he's not retiring. But I, I can't imagine Carmelo doing it. I, I, I really do think it's more of a Paul George thing. And it is interesting that of those three, he's having the best season uh, and how important how that comes into play in terms of his decision, what his numbers look like versus how the team plays is an interesting thing to look at as well. 
Yeah, George has, uh, leads the team in a variety of different metrics. I think like wins above replacement, win shares, so on and so forth. So he seems to be the one that's actually kind of fitting in the best with the of the big three uh, that they have. And I also wanted to point out that maybe that seven and nine record is a little bit misleading too, because according to their point differential, they should be ten and six right now, uh, and and they're tied for the Atlanta Hawks as the unluckiest team in the league this year so far. And then also their point margin per one hundred possession is actually quite positive, plus 4.8 points per 100, which is sixth best in the NBA. So maybe it's just a matter of there's nothing really wrong uh, aside from some of these fit issues uh, at the margins, which we've seen super teams in the past work their way through. It's just a question of giving them enough time to make that happen. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be fine with, with time. I mean, I, I think that we all, well, not all of us, but a lot of us saw that game where they lost to the Timberwolves where Andrew Wiggins hit that three at the last second, and it actually happened right after Carl Anthony Towns set an illegal screen. And so, I mean, there are going to be games like that. Melo had hit a game-winning shot, what would have been a game-winning shot in that game. And it's just crazy to think about how different the conversation is if a game or two goes differently. It's, it's really not that big a deal that they're two games under. You know, you figure they might lose to Golden State and go three games under. But they're, they're probably going to go on a run. If their defense can stay anywhere near this level – Kyle mentioned the rebounding. It's impressive that their defense has been that good despite them rebounding like a a normal, below-average team. But their offense, you just figure guys like this should figure it out at some point. That's kind of the impression we have. If they don't, there are much bigger problems, like Neil said, because of the free agency questions they have. Okay, so let's leave it there. We'll get to have a glimpse of the progress that OKC has made on Wednesday night, like I said, against the Warriors. That's easily the best team they've faced, according to 538's ELO ratings. Uh, Whether or not they have Kevin Durant is uh, still up in the air, but uh, it'll be interesting to track them uh, in that game going into the holiday. Uh, So we're going to pivot to our small sample, but first we're going to have a word from another sponsor. In need of great talent for your business but short on time? You don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click, so you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting, so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And the easy-to-use ZipRecruiter dashboard lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, listeners to The Lab can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash The Lab. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash The Lab. T-H-E-L-A-B, one word. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash The Lab. Let's wrap up the show with a segment that we like to call Small Sample. This is where we, as always, discuss an emerging trend that doesn't have a whole lot of data behind it but might end up being meaningful before season's end. This week's Small Sample is going to be brought by me, and it's about Los Angeles Lakers rookie 
Lonzo Ball and his field goal percentage. So right now, Lonzo is shooting 30.8% from the field, not from three, from the field as a whole. The last qualified player, according to Basketball Reference, uh, to shoot under 31% in a season was a guy named Woody Salisbury of the 1961 St. Louis Hawks. Now, granted, Lonzo is taking a lot of threes, which regular field goal percentage doesn't factor in, but his effective field goal percentage, which does take into account threes, is 35.6%, which is also tracking to be one of the worst dozen or so since the late 1950s or early 60s. So Lonzo's shot is way out of whack right now. But I wanted to ask you guys, is there reason to think that it will get better as his rookie season progresses? And why is he shooting so poorly right now? It's weird that he's missing the shots that he is. Like, when he came into the league, we thought he would miss, um, have trouble with the pull-ups. Like, he would like, have a little less space. Like, do a poor man Steph Curry impression, but but badly, right? Yeah, yeah, um, Because he's got the weird release, and, like, if you have a little less space, it doesn't quite work right. He'd have trouble getting to the rim. All that's still true, but, like, he's shooting better on the pull-ups, though, than he is on the, the catch-and-shoot. A lot of them wide open. So... I mean, yes, it should rebound if, like, we take his season at UCLA and, like, to be some kind of measure of how good he is at this stuff. Uh, but, like, even if you take away the, the NBA three-point line, maybe those couple extra feet uh, are really affecting him, even though he took pretty long threes at UCLA, too. Uh, from 16, between 16 feet and the three-point line, he's shooting 14%. <laughs> like, that is, like, so even for, like, from, like, college three land, long shots in college, like, he's still just, like, really, really struggling here. Yeah, and uh, to your point about open shots, he currently has the league's worst effective field goal percentage, 30% on shots classified by NBA.com as wide open, in which the league makes significantly more of those. So, Chris, I wanted to ask you, have you noticed anything different about his form since college? Are they trying to maybe tinker with it? Is that uh, leading to these struggles, or, or is he still shooting just as as unorthodoxly as he used to? I think it's the same form, but the the thing is, I, it's really hard to to really put a number to it sometimes. But in college, he was the star player. When you have a star player in college, even if they're not a good shooter, you don't back all the way off them. You don't dare them to shoot normally because that's still the most dangerous person on the court. And the pros, they're daring them to do that. There's all sorts of other stuff at, at play now that he did not have to deal with in college. The attention that he gets from his father and literally the first game he played of his career against Pat Beverly, there's different stuff going on in his head. And I think he even said recently, I didn't think there'd be all this attention on what I'm doing. His haircut, the fact that he's walking away from fights. And so I think the shooting is, I actually think, I mean, there's probably not a really good way to to characterize this statistically, but I think he's kind of in his own head a little bit too. And I think, Part of it is that he he gets to the three-point line and he sees people backing off and he's like, well, should I shoot? Shouldn't I? And he's he's someone that played off his instincts and now he's having to think. And so that's a lot of what I'm seeing. I think he's also very slow with his release. And so even when he's open, you know, the idea of taking a shot and taking that long to take it. Someone asked me the other day, I wrote that story on Clay Thompson and having the quickest release. There's a part of me that wonders if Lonzo has the, the longest release in the league. Um, and, and how difficult does that make catch-and-shoot opportunities? How open does he have to be to be able to take a shot and not get it blocked, not not be have his vision messed up because of somebody getting in his way? It's just It just looks a mess in terms of his jump shot, and it's, it sucks because he's a fun player, but it's not fun watching him go through this. 
The other thing that's hard to quantify is like the rhythm that he's just not getting because he's not getting the easy looks that he could in college. Uh, like Chris and I saw him in summer league. I've been talking about it since. It's jarring how like slow footed the dude is. Where uh, saw him switch onto Bryce Bryce Johnson, switch onto him, couldn't get around the dude. And so his blow by numbers or whatever, however you want to you know classify the drives to the basket, they're like mediocre uh, for for point guards and for the league as a whole. But he doesn't get it right clean. So like he's not getting his guy on his back. He's not putting him on his hip. Like the defender stays in the play a lot of times, even when he beats him, meaning that the help defender doesn't have to quite uh, commit as much. And so that takes away some of the like benefit that like Alonzo, if he could beat his man, draw help a little harder, would have on like his passing. So his playmaking has been good, but not as good as it could be if he could be getting there. And because he can't get there clean, get these clean looks like he's just not seeing the ball go in the basket. And shooters just always talk about, like, if your shot isn't going in, just seeing it go in. Just go get a layup. Go get an easy bucket. He's not getting those either. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before that, uh, you know, scorers say that when they just have the act, whether it's even getting to the line, which he's not doing that much of, and he's certainly not making uh, shots from the line either. He's shooting 46% from the line. Those are the types of, of easy opportunities where you just, like you said, Kyle, getting the ball, just that vision of it going through the hoop is enough to kind of get you on track. Now, I will say that uh, our colleague uh, at ESPN, Kevin Pelton, wrote, Tuesday about balls all around game beyond just the poor shooting and he noted that it's actually kind of miraculous that Lonzo according to the advanced metrics is not a very 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 below replacement level player he's actually above replacement level uh, despite the shooting because of the ways in which he's kind of stuffing the stat sheet with non-scoring numbers he ranks eighth in defensive real plus minus uh, and you know once you take into account the the fact that one and done point guards tend to have really rocky starts anyway uh, that he might be still on track once he straightens out the shot and that's a big if maybe yeah so speaking of like rookie point guards especially one and done like his turnover percentage is really low for like how much he's handling the ball and like which is just surprising for for a one and done point guard too one thing nothing to do with Lonzo but more to do with the idea that all the attention he's getting he's getting all the slander and, and I mean rightly so because of all the hype he was getting as well for his shooting percentage, even though a lot of the shots are threes. Are we going to talk about Marcus Smart, who, granted, he this is a guy that uh, isn't he going to be a free agent this summer, and isn't he shooting like 26 or 27%? I know I know that he plays for I a team. I can't keep track. Every game it's lower. Every game it I goes down. I keep wondering down. how we keep talking about Lonzo Ball having the lowest shooting percentage since the beginning of time, and I'm like, wait a minute. The dude on the team that's won like 90 games in a row who's – wanting a big big contract after this year is shooting like 25 percent literally 25 or 26 percent but uh you know that maybe that was just me being petty i like marcus smart he still has a ton of value despite the shooting and that's kind of what's cool about the nba right now is that these are guys that can do multiple things to help a team uh lonzo statistically it might not be showing up in every way just yet but if and when he gets his shot straightened out, there's no question he's going to be a useful player for them and a helpful player to them, whether he's a star or not. And the same way that Marcus Smart, at this point, I don't see him becoming a star, and that's perfectly fine. You could have a ton of value on a team like the Celtics that's won 16 games in a row. 
Yeah, that's a great point, Chris. Uh, Marcus Smart currently shooting 27%, which is even worse than Lonzo Ball. But also... Uh, five ranks- threes a game. He's taking five threes a game while he's doing this. Yes, <laughs> while, uh, while shooting uh, 26%. Actually, his his uh, make rate on two-pointers and three-pointers is strikingly similar. How are you 27%. shooting 27% on two? <laughs> and yet, at the same time, again, Marcus Smart coming out, according to uh, Real Plus Minus, is also being uh, well above replacement because of the defense so maybe there's uh something similar there that it just goes to show like you said chris that you know there are players that are good enough all around and do enough things that they can survive maybe not be great players but still survive uh truly horrific shooting numbers and obviously Lonzo still just a rookie. We don't want to judge rookies too harshly. So uh, we'll keep an eye on his shooting percentages. And I have a certain feeling that this won't be the last time that we talk about Lonzo Ball this season. Okay, so that'll do it for this week's show. Thanks, guys. Happy Thanksgiving to you both. Our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioners, Chad Matlin. We received production assistance from our intern, Dan Levitt. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find us wherever your favorite podcasting apps are. We're on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. And you can find us in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Wherever you go, be sure to rate and review the show. It helps others discover the program. I'm Neil Payne. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. Talk to you next time.